Can you hear me now? Just put a quarter in it and see what happens. (laughs) Thanks again uh, for... um, uh, if you're visiting with us today, and we especially want to tell you that as if you are visiting, you're getting a little different insight into our church today than you would normally get. Um, typically what we do is we walk through verses chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we're taking a break today in Second Samuel uh, to really launch, I don't want to say launch, but um, introduce you to uh, our next phase of building out Creekside in as far as a building goes. We're careful not to call this a building campaign. We're not calling this, uh, this is not uh, something where we have brought in a consultant to talk about this is how we're going to raise money or funds. This is just us. If you've walked into a home, Probably the most comfortable place you could ever walk into to hear everything about the family would be the kitchen table. I mean, you skip the, the, the foyer, you walk past the, the dining room, and you go to the kitchen table, and there's where you have the talk. And then you get to know everybody. We want to invite you to the kitchen table today as you hear from several of us talk about the direction we're going and where we're going as a church. Um, <clears throat> we don't ever want to say we're building a church because this is a church. We're fully functional and we're a very effective church. But we do know God is, is laid on our heart to build a building. And this building is critical. This building is critical for many different reasons. Number one, we are in a facility not built for a church. We are beginning to max out this facility very quickly. The economy is thriving and therefore it is incredibly hard to lease any facility that doesn't have rent higher than a mortgage payment. So, uh, to give you a little background history, this church began on the backs and the prayers and the promises of two churches that were smaller who came together and said, we want to uh, regain the vision we once had. And these were remarkable individuals. These churches came together and formed Creekside Church two years ago. Uh, We have a different model. There's not a senior pastor. There's not a lead pastor. There's a group of pastors. Um, there's uh, I do most of the preaching, uh, only because Shale doesn't really love preaching as much as I do, I guess, now. Because Shale uh, is, is a bivocational pastor. I'm the only staff pastor here. Uh, pastor Jeff is one who handles all the new member assimilation and keeps all the I's dotted and T's crossed and makes sure we're, we're focused. We're church is transparent. Meaning at any given time, you can walk up to one of our finance folks and ask them to see everything. Either I make, a church spins, or whatever we spend our money on, all our books are completely 100% open. All of our meetings have minutes taken. All of them are available to be seen. All of us as pastors are protected from seeing the giving capacity of anyone. We don't know who gives. We don't know if you give. That is not within our realm. We have been given over the privilege of just focusing on the gospel and allowing other people to operate within the, the, the parameters of the church. We, have a, we are a church that we believe in, in when we focus on missionaries, that they are missionaries already in the field. Or it's ministries in town, why and reinventive ministry when we can otherwise go, come alongside one. We're a church that has grown. We have grown in ways we We've not expected. Uh, we have grown in a lot of younger folks, and we've grown in a lot of senior adults. It's an amazing thing when I talk with other churches, and we we explain who has been coming in. And I think two weeks ago, we had 19 people join the church, with a lot of people in the hopper ready to join. But to see people in their 80s walking into a church, 
saying, I want one more shot for the gospel. I want to come in here and give, um, uh, give all I can. It says a lot about who we are. Uh, we, start, we started looking at a church building, and we determined that basically we were running around 250, 260, maybe 270s on a Sunday in here. And we believe an appropriate building in which we're going to be building will seat 500 comfortably and in need if we have like a larger funeral or wedding can, can seat up to 600. But it's a 500 seat sanctuary. We're building a second story uh, to be able to host uh, what we do not have now, which is an active children's ministry and minister that will come in and, and, and help us with that. If you look at our demographic, we're right smack dab in the middle missing a lot of the uh, elementary age kids and their families and that will be our that is our primary focus this year we have an active search team to be able to bring that in when that comes in to play their church will grow everybody has always said no matter what church you're at don't wait on the children to come to get a children's pastor you get a children's pastor then they'll come and as well as we believe that we are going to experience a considerable bump in attendance when we move from here we've been told conservatively 35 percent growth the the sunday we move from here to there based on two factors number one we're moving from a business building to a church building that's designed with higher ceilings the ceilings alone will be i, I think it'll kind of blow your mind how big they are the band can play a little bit more of a full sound like you hear at Easter. When you hear the, the band at Easter with with proper acoustics or you know sound equipment, you're thinking, wow, what a difference. They can project a lot more. And then secondly, the biggest thing is you're moving from a commercial area, Fletcher and Dale Mabry, to a residential community. And if you were to if you were to draw a bullseye in a city, in the town of Lutz, and the, you would you would look at Lutz, you would smack dab drop right in the middle um, our location. We believe we have the last uh, reasonably developable piece of land in, in Lutz that would ever be designed for a church. It's next to a creek, which is where we get our name. It's beautiful out there. It, it's under the shade of beautiful trees, and then we abut and adjacent to uh, several hundred acres of of. of of wetlands that we you know well it's a just a it's a beautiful piece of property it's completely paid for we've been a church that's been able to raise over 360 something thousand dollars for our building campaign all the tens of thousands that we've paid to do different things like engineers and all that kind of stuff has come out of our operating budget god has been with us every bit of the way we have more giving units than we have members here we're an anomaly in the church world. Nobody can figure out where our giving keeps going up and up and up. But in order to get this building built and to go in with as least debt as possible, we're asking you to do one thing. And that is to simply pray. There will be no commitment cards given to you by this church. There is no consultant. There is no thermometer indicating where we are. We are asking one thing and one thing only, that you commit to prayer and ask God, God, what would you do, have me do for this church? So we go in this with as least debt as possible. You're going to hear from several different individuals in here today that we hope bring a cross section. Um, it'll be Miss Nelda will come up in a moment. Uh, she's... Uh, I remember Nelda when you were part of the Acacia Grove group, and she said, "You've you've said very proudly when I first visited. You you said I am the oldest one here. Well, now Nelda, you're part of the youth group. So anyway, uh, 
Uh, we're just glad you are, uh, you're going to just talk about how to pray for our church. Arun, who normally uh, you and your family attend the first service, so you might not recognize him, for those of you who come to the second service, he is, a, he is somebody that we looked at as leadership and said, you know, none of us know what we're doing. By the way, in case you ever think, well, we really know what we're doing, we don't know what we're doing. And we just know what needs to get done. And we looked at Arun and said, Arun, you travel around um, and a lot and you consult businesses and you kind of open their eyes to blind spots and well would you look at us and see what can we do and he did exactly what you would want him to do as a member of the church he opened up the word of god and said i'll tell you exactly what the word of god says and shares with us about this very thing and so he's going to share a little bit Shay will come up then i'll close and so uh again these home meetings i can't stress to you enough how important they are you probably received a letter if you didn't receive a letter it means we do not have your address uh and this letter was an introduction letter talking about what the church is going to be looking like it but these information meetings i want you to come again this is I don't want you walking in thinking, oh, they're going to draw to a close, lock the doors, and then, you know, say, here, commit. It's not that. Um, here's what it's going to be. It's the, the time when you can ask all the questions. You can see what has been everybody's been up to for the last eight to ten months about kicking this idea back, going to the architect, going to the engineer, kicking everything back to the place of saying, okay, this is it. What we are going to present to you is the final plan, the blueprint, the layout. You can ask questions. As a matter of fact, we have sat down and asked about 50 or 60 incredibly hard questions that we thought maybe you might even be embarrassed to ask. It's again, because we we fall on the sword of transparency every time. Those, we're going to give you a handout of that and to walk you through what the building's going to look like in case you have any questions at all. Well, without any further ado, Ms. Nelda, would you come down and then, uh, um, Nelda, if you just share with us uh, <clears throat> how you pray for the church and how you're going to, how you just kind of encourage us to pray. And then after that, Arun, if you would come up and come right here. Thank you. Wow, this is a whole new group of brothers and sisters that I don't see at the first service. It's amazing to think that we're going to spend eternity together, isn't it? <laughs> Currently, when I pray for the church, I have a few housekeeping items to take care of. I pray that as, I pray that Creekside's building advances. We will not have any unpleasant surprises that cost a lot of time or money. I pray that the workers will get along and do a good job <clears throat> and that the fact that they are building a church will cause them to think of God and eternal things. I pray that heavy trucks going to and from the property will not be an offense to our new neighbors. I pray for the leadership of this church. I pray that these men will stay in God's word and go to him for wisdom which is needed to make difficult decisions. I pray for the... <clears throat> Pastors Shale, Jack, Jake, and Jeff. I pray for Jake and Shale as they prepare their sermons, that God would direct them to focus on the lesson that God wants for the congregation. And I pray that we as a congregation would have receptive hearts and we would leave having heard from God and having experienced a time worshiping our great God. I pray for Jeff as he instructs new members about our beliefs. I pray for Jack as he does a lot of background work as well as mentoring. <clears throat> I pray for unity among our believers. Division is Satan's favorite tool. He uses it where it can be most destructive among families and church members. 
I pray that the sweet and caring church family, which describes Creekside now, would become even sweeter and more caring as we grow. I pray also for church growth. Obviously, we desire growth, and we certainly are experiencing that currently. Every Sunday, we seem to have new people. But I especially pray not for numerical growth, but also for growth in changed hearts and lives. I, of course, pray for people to be saved. But just as importantly, I pray that we who are Christians would continue to be conformed to the image of Christ, which the Bible instructs us. This church was started with the intent to be permanent. And when we and our current staff pass off the stage, I pray that we will have built on such a firm foundation that it will stand until Jesus returns. I pray that we as a congregation would seek to know God's word. That is the only way to resist the attacks of Satan. After all, God's word is what Jesus used to resist Satan's temptations. It is where we go for answers and when we have problems. And that is only possible when we know his word. It keeps us from sinning. As David said, I will hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I pray that we, as a part of the church, would remain faithful. Down through the centuries, churches have started out great and then died a slow death or have lost their impact. Six of the seven churches of Revelation lost a significant witness. Only the church of Philadelphia remained as faithful as it was at the beginning. I pray that we would not forget that the church is not a building, but the people, and that we are only a few among many other believers who make up the church of the body of Jesus Christ. But we do need a building in which to meet, so it is proper that we build one. And it also has to be paid for. So I also pray that everyone would do what they can to help in that regard and thereby receive a great blessing. I do not pray for all these every day, but I do pray for the church leaders and pastors daily. And I pray every day that we would experience growth in changing hearts and lives. This is by no means an exhaustive list of prayers, and it doesn't include um, prayers of thanksgiving and praise. These are just petitions to our great God for our church. I would like to conclude by quoting the prayer that Paul included in his letter to the Ephesian Christians. And I would remind you that the Ephesian Christians lost their first love, and we don't want to do that. Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And I would add that we should remember that all we do and say should be for his great glory. Thank you. As uh, Jake said, my name is Arun, 
And um, I have a couple of disclaimers. One is, as he said, I am not a consultant to raise funds. Uh, I have no idea how to do any of that. And I'm not a preacher either. So when the leadership team asked me to share some ideas, I walked in and said, I really don't have any ideas. But I said, I can definitely know a source of all ideas. And I said, that's the scripture. So I had already looked at some of the big construction projects, building projects in the Bible. And I said, let's look at them and see what we can learn from them. So out of that meeting, um, they had asked me to share some of what I shared with them, with you as a congregation. So the first, um, I'm I'm only going to focus on one of the construction projects, and that is the building of the tabernacle. Now, you may think that the tabernacle was a simple tent that was just constructed and put together. But if you actually look at scriptures in Exodus, it is actually covered in Exodus 25 through 40. 16 chapters. God goes into great detail in laying out exactly what he wanted uh, that tabernacle to look like, the inside, the outside, how it needed to be decorated, what materials to be used for what parts of the tabernacle. So God was a God of detail, and he spends 16 chapters in this. So I think there's a lot of things that we can learn from these 16 chapters. So when he started giving instructions, right? So I I was thinking about it. You know, this is about 100 days Uh, after the Israelites came out of slavery, out of Egypt, they had just crossed the Red Sea. It had parted for them. God was doing miraculous things, physical miracles, right? Why didn't he just bring the tabernacle into place? Why didn't he just not make it as a miracle? You know, I thought about it and said, but he spends a lot of time in making sure the people who he is going to live among, were involved in building that tabernacle. And he didn't make that a miracle. It was actually a bigger miracle that the people who came from slavery actually built it. So more as we look to scripture. So the first scripture I want to look at is Exodus 25.1. And this is the first instruction that God gives Moses. The very first one. He goes into a lot of detail in the other chapters, but let's look at 25.1. Exodus 25, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. So let's just stop at this verse for a couple of minutes. First of all, the contribution in some of your translations probably says offering. And in the Jewish tradition, there are a lot of offerings. This was a free will offering. And the actual Hebrew, if you look at the word in Hebrew, the root of that word actually means drawing closer to God. So through this contribution, he was intending his people to draw closer to him. Now, um, the the... God didn't say this was a compulsory offering. It was a free will offering. It was not a tax. They just come out of slavery. God could have easily said, you know, I brought you all this way. You better give me something of everything that you have. He didn't say that. He didn't even say every man should or every man and woman should contribute. He said every man whose heart is moved. There's a conditional clause there, right? So... That's what was was uh, told to them. But the but the materials that God asked for, and you can read through twenty five and and learn more about that. But God is asking for gold, silver, 
fine cloth, fine linen, skins, all these things which do you think slaves would have? They were slaves for 400 years. And there was nothing around them. They're in the middle of the wilderness. How can God expect them to have all this? So did they actually bring all this? So let's jump uh, further into Exodus 35, 20, 21, and verse 29. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. Now 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So you might say, wow, they actually brought everything. They got it. They actually contributed gold and silver and fine linen. So where did they get it? They were slaves. Do you think they had a, like a retirement plan, savings plan, 401k? No. Nothing. They probably didn't even get paid. If they didn't get beaten that day, that was a good day. But yet... God had already planned it out. So let's go backwards in Exodus to Exodus 11. And God is instructing Moses to tell something to the people of Israel. And this is before they left Egypt. They're still in Egypt. 11.2 Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask. Every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. Wow. And then let's look at Exodus 12, 35 and 36. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. So God was already planning for the materials of his tabernacle even before they left Egypt. God said, go ask them. And miraculously, they just opened the doors and said, take what you want. They opened their safes, they opened their bank walls, whatever else they had, wherever they had their treasures, they said, take what you want. And if you had been a slave all your life, and you see all these fine clothes and jewelry, what would you do? Take all of them, right? That's what it says, exactly. They plundered the Egyptians. So all the wealth had come from the Lord. But yet, God says, and only in a matter of a hundred days, God says, only those whose heart are stirred should give. He makes it conditional, for He knows our hearts. He knows that even if you had just gotten wealth in the last hundred days, you are not going to give. And that's why he says that. So, you know, um, what happened with these people? So they were slaves. They all got wealthy. They came out. God says, give me what you have according to how your heart speaks to you. And so what did they give? How much did they give? Let's read on in Exodus 36, 5 and 6. And this is the workers. They, they, you know, God had chosen a lot of people who were going to come and work on the tabernacle. So there were people who were good at working in gold and silver, and there were people who were good at working with skins and cloth and 
they're all started the work and they all started collecting whatever the people were giving them and this is what they come and tell Moses and said to Moses the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do so Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary so the people were restrained from bringing the people were restrained from bringing so they brought so much that they said enough we can't take it anymore we don't want your offering again slaves for 400 years sudden wealth and they couldn't stop giving that's the point that i want you to note but it is only with the people whose heart were stirred because i believe that there were a lot of people there who never gave anything it was the same people like you and me but the ones who gave kept giving and giving and giving till moses had to command them not even request them command them don't bring any more so the question is how much will your heart be stirred right now these people were slaves so comparing ourselves to them is not really fair i don't think any of us were slaves right especially for generations we have not been slaves we're all free praise god for that now you you may say you know everything that i have is my own hard work it's not something that i got for free it's not like these egyptians giving israelites something that they didn't earn i'm a self-made man or woman now god has a warning for us if we have that thought in our minds because he gave a warning to the israelites as they were ready to get into the promised land and let me read deuteronomy 8 17 and 18 and he's telling us all of deuteronomy 8, 8 says if you go into the promised land and you have a lot of wealth and you have been satisfied you eat your full and you look around and say wow i've got what it takes god says beware lest you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have given me this wealth you shall remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant let that be a reminder for each one of us right so you know as we start this um building the building for the church come and attend these informational meetings but more than anything else what i want to ask you is to ask god to stir your heart to how you would participate in this in this great building it's not just our money i think more important than money is our time that's more valuable for a lot of us than even money give your time pray pray much for this building even as nelda has challenged us to do i challenge our church to start a prayer chain let's wrap this building around with prayer day and night i think that's something everyone can do so give your time your talents participate get involved let every one of us be involved in this you know as i conclude this 
um, I want to give you a, a, a real-life example that I had in building a building. And this was way back in India when I was a young teen. My mom and dad and my brother and I attended a church. It was probably about 50, 60 families coming together. And at that time, we owned the land, very similar to this. But we were meeting in a very temporary location, a, a building. It was not even a building. It was just a concrete floor with a thatched roof which is just, uh, you know, palm leaves woven together. And after a couple of years, we said, we need to build a building. So the pastor challenged us, similar to this, in, a, in one Sunday. And he said, three or four weeks later, we're going to take a, con- a contribution, an offering. I still remember that day when that offering was taken. It was so overwhelming. It still is just vivid in my memory. People gave and gave and gave. I remember there was gold jewelry in the offering plate. There was things in there which people possessed, which they just gave up. And they said, God's building is more important than my possessions. The, the long and short of it is, we were able to build that building, and this is way back in India, for just, with just the resources we had. We borrowed nothing. So that's the challenge I have for ourselves. Remember, I'm part of the congregation. That we, our hearts are so stirred that we can take care of this ourselves. May God use this for his glory. Thanks, Arun. I told him between services, if he wasn't careful, he's going to put me out of a job. (laughs) Guys are going to start wanting to hear from him every week. Um, Well, thanks, Arun, for giving us such a wonderful picture of the people of Israel and just the way they gave to the work of the Lord. We're going to keep walking through Scripture. It seems like it would be senseless to talk about raising funds for a facility without using Scripture. So we're going to keep walking through Scripture. And the next kind of building project we see in Scripture is the temple. So almost 500 years have passed. We're actually studying the temple, or excuse me, studying this passage today in Second Samuel. Um, but almost 500 years have now passed since the tabernacle was built. And if we fast forward to where we are today in Second Samuel, um, the tabernacle is apparently in disrepair. We don't know if it was actually looking shabby or if David just thought that it, the Lord needed something new. Um, but as we study, he's sitting on the portico. We assume he has a portico. He's sitting on his porch with Nathan, the prophet, one night. And King David looks over and he sees probably all the land that Israel has now in Jerusalem. And he looks over and he sees the tabernacle. And he's like, I think the Lord needs a temple. Right? The Lord has been dwelling in this tabernacle that Arun just described for 500 years. And we think he needs a temple. So here's what David says. And this is why I think it's important for us as we're discussing this stuff today, is David says, I want to use my resources to take care of the Lord. That's that's essentially what what David is saying. And like I said, we walked through this a few weeks ago, and I, I think as I study it, David's heart is in the right place. He wants to build the Lord a temple. Like that, that seems to be, you know, his heart is in the right place. He has a nice house of cedar, Second Samuel says. His, his house is done. David's palace is done. And he looks over and he sees the tabernacle and he's like, oh, the Lord needs something better. So I'm going to go ahead and use my resources to build him a temple. So it would seem like his, his heart is in the right place. But I, I think we would agree he's maybe looking at the, the Lord's work through clouded lenses. 
through, through a clouded lens, more of a self-focused lens. Nathan, here's, a, well, here's what I am going to do for the Lord. I am going to build the Lord a temple. And, and as you're personally praying through, you know, the challenge for today is just to pray. To pray about how you will be involved. Where there's no manipulation here. There's no guilt here. As Arun said, as the Lord moves in your heart, period. And so as you're praying through this as a family, I think there's a lesson that maybe we can learn or glean from this passage with King David. So here's what the Lord says from says to David. He's having this conversation with Nathan. He says, hey, I'm going to build the Lord a temple. And then Nathan goes home. And then here's what, here's the conversation. Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling, the tabernacle. And all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel who I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built for me a house of cedar? You can almost sense the Lord kind of giving David a hard time. I mean, it's maybe not as blatant. It's not black and white. But you kind of sense the Lord giving him a hard time, kind of messing with him. Really, really, David, cedar. Like, have you have you seen where I live? You probably haven't, but you know there there are streets of gold up here. Like, you want to build me a house? Of, do I did I tell you I needed a house? Did did I tell you, David, I needed a house? Like, did I ever tell you I was tired of the tabernacle that I didn't want the tabernacle anymore? You see, you're trying to do me a favor. Like, I need something from you. And again, I, I think you hear it with some humor behind it. It's like the Lord's like, I, I, I don't really need that. I own it all. And this is what I want you to take away. The Lord owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the silver, all the gold, all the jewels. He created it. The diamonds. He owns it. Right? He created it. It's his. He's like, I made him. Did you ever stop to think about that? Like we don't serve, here's the, here's the thing I'm encouraged about. We don't serve a poor God. We don't, we don't serve a weak God. He has unlimited resources to accomplish his mission and his work on this earth. And we see that all over the New Testament. The disciples come to him, they're like, well, how are we going to pay the tax? And Jesus goes, um, get that fish over there. Bring me that fish. Comes The fish comes over and he goes, take the coin that's in the fish's mouth and go pay your tax, right? And then later on, we read a couple different occasions where there's people who need to eat. 5,000, probably a lot more than 5,000, probably close to 15 if you count women and children. And Jesus comes over and the disciples are freaking out. Lord, what are you going to do? How are we going to have the resources to feed all of these people? And Jesus goes, um, see that kid right over there? Go get him. Bring him to me. He's got five loaves and he's got two fish. And I'm going to multiply those. I'm going to divvy that up so everybody gets taken care of. And they're like, okay. But he does it. Right? So let me ask you a question. If the Lord can do that, then why do we give? If the Lord owns it all, if the Lord can make it all, if the Lord can create it all, then why do we give? As believers who sit here, 21st century, in a church, why do we give? Now, you know, the fact of the matter is the Lord doesn't need our money. Now, Creekside might need your money to build the building, and Evan Mays might appreciate, and Perla might appreciate your, your giving. But the fact of the matter is the Lord can do whatever he wants. Our giving in today's church, in the 21st century, is an offering. Literally, that's what it's called. 
It's called an offering. It's an offering of thanksgiving. It's recognition that the Lord is doing something bigger than us. Right? He is building his kingdom, his church, and he wants us to participate in the work that he's already doing. And by giving it, it gives us the opportunity to participate in what he's already doing. And David's like, you know, he's like, David, don't forget that. Verse 8, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. And I have been with you wherever you went and cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Verse 11, and I will give you rest from all your enemies, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And here's, what he, here's essentially what he's saying. He's like, David, from the Garden of Eden, I have been at work in this world. I have been drawing people into a relationship with me. And I know that you want to build me a house. I, I get that, but I'm about to continue my mission and I'm going to build you a house. Is essentially what he says. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David, one day, one of your descendants will become a king. And it won't be a king. He will not continue. Not only will he continue your throne, but more importantly, David, he's going to continue my throne and he's going to continue to build my kingdom forever. You see, my plan, and this is, this is just a, such an encouraging piece, my plan for redeeming mankind will come through your offspring, David. Like, my plan for redeeming mankind. Of course, he's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about that future king that will come from the line of David. And, of course, David doesn't understand all this in the moment. But here's the point. David started out thinking that he was going to bless the Lord with his finances. That's how the conversation started. Lord, I'm going to bless you with my finances. And the Lord's like, why don't I just let you participate in what I'm already doing? Like, I'm already at work. And the the last thing, you know, we, we spent a lot of time praying about today. A lot of time praying about over the last months, what, is, what does it look like to encourage a church family to give, to show them what we believe the Lord's doing, where we believe the Lord is leading, but also the, the gravity of the amount of money that's needed and what does this look like and you know, what can we do? And the last thing that we want to do, so don't leave here thinking you're being guilty, the last thing we want to do is obligate you to give money towards the ministries of Creekside Church. That's, that's not the goal. But you also need to realize that this is an opportunity for you to participate in the work the Lord is already doing. Like, it is an opportunity to participate. He's already at Newberger Road, where our property is, moving in people's hearts. Seeds are already being planted in the neighborhood right next to where our church is going to be. People are already driving by that property and seeing that sign and saying, I wonder what's going to come there. Well, that, that's the Lord. The Lord is moving. I mean, we're not even there. 
And he's already doing things far in advance of us. It's like the tabernacle. They plundered the Egyptians way back here because the Lord knew he was going to use that way in the future to build his tabernacle. Like the Lord is already moving. He's already planting seeds. The groundwork is already being laid. And our, our prayer is that when Creekside Church moves our building, not our people, our building to Newburger Road, that we can just participate in what he's already doing. That he can use us, he can use the people here, he can use the pastors here to reach that community. And it's, it's a pretty, if you step back and think about it, it's a pretty awe-inspiring position to be in. Like, wow, Lord, you're going to let us participate. Too often we're like, all right, Lord, you need me. Right? If I wasn't here, I don't know what would happen. And it's, but if you step back and think about it, the Lord's moving, the Lord's working all over the world, and we have the opportunity to participate. And so David hears this. Now, granted, David's giving a new covenant, and David is being told he's going to have a Messiah come from him, essentially. It's a little different situation, but he just sits back in awe. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have also spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. All David can do is sit in awe at what the Lord is doing. And that, and that honestly is the foundation for New Testament giving. Sitting in awe of what the Lord is doing and giving as an overflow of thanksgiving. Just like, I, 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 I cannot believe what you're doing and I want to be a part of it. The Lord just continuing his promise to David. You'll see the Messiah come. You'll see the Messiah walk among his creation, the creator of the universe. You see him hang on a cross, nailed to a cross. You see him raise again three days later. And it's, it's pretty mind-blowing, but he's still moving today. He's continuing to work in people's hearts, even today. He's building his church. And he really doesn't want people giving out of guilt. He doesn't want people giving out of pride. You could maybe argue David maybe had a little bit of pride. Just, oh, look what I'm going to do for the Lord. He wants people giving out of an overflow, like a heart of thanksgiving. He wants, and he wants us to participate in what he's already doing. All right, here's the deal. Being generous with our finances is not something that God wants from us. It's something God wants for us. Does that make sense? It's not something he wants from us because he owns it all. He can do it all. It's something he wants for us. Randy Alcorn, who has this amazing little book called The Treasure Principle, um, and we're going to actually go through this. We're going to start like a regular going through this as a church in 2020, just because it's, it's an absolutely fascinating book about just money in general and giving in general. It has nothing to do with Creekside Church. It has more to do with the entire world out there and what the needs are out there. But here's what he says. He says, financial planners tell us when it comes to your money, don't think three months or three years ahead. Think 30 years ahead. Right? We've all heard that. Financial planners think for your, you know, your future, 401ks, all that kind of stuff. He says, Jesus takes it a step further and says, don't ask how your investment will be paying off in 30 years. Ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. Ask how your investment will be paying off 
in eternity. Matthew six nineteen. do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as you keep reading through Samuel, which we'll eventually get to, David never did build the temple. His son Solomon, actually, in First Kings, you see, he actually is the one that finished the temple. And it would be a magnificent building. Be one of the, I don't know if it would be one of the seven wonders, but it would be one of the wonders of the ancient world. But here's, here's the thing I like about it. God doesn't let David officially build it, but he allows David to give his worldly possessions towards it. Right? He comes and says, I don't know how Solomon's going to accumulate all this stuff that needs to be done. I want this place to be absolutely amazing. So God says, all right, David, you can contribute towards the building that your son is. And here's what he tells Solomon, his son, First Chronicles 22, 13. He's challenging him. Be strong and courageous. Fear not. Do not be dismayed. With great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it. Timber and stone too have I provided. To these you must add. You have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working. Gold, silver, bronze, and iron arise and work. The Lord be with you. And you have, to, you have to wonder, you have to put yourself in David's shoes, thinking of just all of these things that the Lord has given him, but he's turning around and giving it back to his son, back to the Lord and saying, build the Lord a temple that David's never going to see. He's never going to see the temple. But he knows that that's important. He knows it's important for the future. He knows it's important for future generations. And he knows it's important for people to see who God is when they look at that temple. And I think that's just such a a powerful reminder. Arise and work. The Lord be with you. I'm going to close with a story and I'm going to give it to Jake. Um, I remember when I started walking with Jesus, there were so many areas of my life that needed work. Can I get an amen? Right? (laughs) Um, You know, so many areas that needed his grace and his mercy. You know, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. You know, it's not like you put your faith in Christ and boom, you're right where you need to be. I mean, it was like, and I'm still struggling all the time, but one of the last areas of my life that I gave to the Lord is finances. I mean, it was just, I I can't tell you why. It was just, you know, I just, I was living paycheck to paycheck. I was trying to start my career and the thought of consistently giving to the Lord, much less above and beyond to some kind of additional thing was almost laughable. Like it seriously was. It was like, you know, the Holy Spirit would nudge me every now and then like, come on, we need to get on this. You need to, you know, this is just, you know, get involved in what I'm doing. And, you know, that I'd log in and show my bank account. Like, I don't know what you want me to do here, but there's, there's nothing to give. And I'm I'm dead serious. And so I had this battle go on in my head all the time. and, And it was at a missions conference. And I remember the very first day of the missions conference, the pastor stood up there and he challenged everybody just to pray. He said, just pray about how the Lord is going to move. Pray about what you, you know, what you might give to missions. And the second he said that I prayed and then I had this number pop into my head. I mean, it just this random number pop into my head. And I was like, um, that's not happening because that's a big number. That's more than I've ever given to anybody in my entire life. And that includes the IRS like that, that, that number is huge. But each day as this, this missions conference went on, 
I would pray and I'd pray a lower number and then that higher number would just keep coming to my head every single time. And so the last day of the conference, I brought a check with me. It's like the one reason I had a checkbook, you know, so I brought a check with me. I was like, maybe one day I'll actually use it this. And I did. So I brought the check with me. I have it in my pocket. I hadn't even filled it out. I probably wanted to stall, but, you know, making sure the Lord was really going to, you know, not change that number. But the offering plate, you know, the ushers come and they start handing out the offering plates. And, you know, I start writing probably slower than I've ever written in my whole life, you know, writing the check out. And so, of course, the offering plate passes me by. I just didn't get it written in time. So the offering plate passes me by and... In that moment, I had, it was like this massive punch in the gut. I don't know if you ever had that happen, but it's just like, all right, Lord, this is ridiculous. Like, I've been fighting with you. We've been going back and forth. Like, I mentally had this argument the whole rest of the service. Like, serious soul searching. And I was like, you know what, Lord? I, it, it's stupid. I'm going to, at the end of the service, this check, I'm going to take, we'll go find an usher. I'm going to put it in the plate because this is kind of the last area of my life that I've relinquished to you, and it's yours. I realize you've given it to me, it's yours. So I fold the check up and I go to put it in my wallet. And as I'm pushing it in my wallet in between, you know, you have like your credit cards here and I'm going to push it into my credit cards and it hits something in the wallet. And so I'm like, what in the world is this? So I, I'm you know, going in the wallet and I pull out what it is and I take it out and it's a check. It's made out to me and it's for $1 more than the check I had in this hand. Like literally the check, this check, $1 more than the check I had this hand. And I'm going back and forth. I'm like, where in the world did this come from? How is this check made out? I mean, I'm looking around. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? I mean, and I, I realized that it was, you know, it finally dawned on me. It was, it was a payroll check. And six months earlier, they had, you know, six months earlier, I had received a check from my job. Because for the prior year before that, they had been kind of shortchanging me every paycheck, unbeknownst to me. And it was a, you know, a relatively small amount in the size of my check. So it was, it was just this amount. And just at, over a year, it added up to that same amount. And I got the check. I wasn't expecting it. I was in a hurry. I stuffed it in my wallet. Six months went by. Hadn't even thought about it. And I'm sitting there in the service. The Lord's, you know, working in my heart, working in my life, trying just to, you know, say, I, I, I need obedience. Like, I just, I want you to walk with me. I want you to experience all that there is to experience in a relationship with me. And I'm sitting there in that service, and I got tears running down my face. And I'm just like, why did I ever doubt? Like, why, why did I ever doubt that you would provide for me? But for me, money was an idol. I needed a security blanket. That's kind of what an idol is. It's a security blanket that you go to in times of need. And money was that thing for me. And I was finally at the point where I needed to trust him. And when I did, he showed me just how amazing he really is. So let me ask you a question as I hand this to Jake. Do you think the Lord needed my offering? No. Do you think the angels in heaven were like, all right, yes, Shale finally gave. We can go use that to go do a bunch, you know, bunch of ministry. Maybe, but I doubt it, all right? The act of giving is all about what the Lord is doing in your heart. And that would be our challenge, our encouragement to you, simply to pray and see how the Lord is moving. Thank you, Shale. So I was a uh, college pastor for a while. A lot of you know that. Where's a <clears throat> intern who came up to me one day, very frustrated, we had an opportunity to go out and serve in the community once a week, and we just started this ministry, and we'd have 
three, four hundred on a Wednesday night, and, and then would have a service project, maybe get fifty kids out there. And so the intern was kind of discouraged and said, "Well, what do I do?" I said, "Just let me handle it." So the next major event we had of several hundred people, I remember looking out there and saying, you know, we have a service project this Saturday. We're eagerly excited about serving in hospitals and community areas that are needed. And um, as a matter of fact, I've done, you know, at that point I'd done about 100 weddings. I said most of the 100 weddings I've officiated were men and women who had met while serving together. But we ended up having about 150 show up to serve the next Saturday. But in all just uh, aside, I wanted to tell you that if we're to look at this as what I hope is the finest hour Creekside has seen. I hear about obedience and faithfulness and prayer. I think my warm spot in my heart is family. It's just what God has given me in a family in you. And so we come to this as a family and we come to it in a way that I hope we'll never be spoiled. hope we'll never walk in a year from now or 10 months from now, whenever we walk in, and think we've arrived. May we always be this family dependent on each other that utilizes our homes and wears out your ovens to cook things and does things together to come together as a, as, as a body. In Nehemiah, I'm not going to have you read through the scripture, but I just have you glanced at it. There's something I caught that I never caught before. Nehemiah was brought to, to Jerusalem as a slave. He was given freedom by, his, the, by the monarch that he served. And when he went in, he gave a great speech. And he said, all of us are to serve together. All of us come together. Everybody has a role in rebuilding this wall in Jerusalem. It took 52 days for this wall to go up. But here's the common thread about the people that built it. And that is, if you'll look, every verse screams out with next to them, beside them, working alongside, coming together next to. In every place, the young and the old, the rich, the poor, the beautiful and the ugly had come together and worked on that wall. In every place they worked, they did so as one. And I would suppose after the 52 days in the glory of Jerusalem, if you were to ask what were the greatest moments in Jerusalem, they would say, isn't we were all one. We came together to do something for God. And so that's what I want to encourage you to do, is to seek God in everything that we've talked about, because it's between you and God. There is no intercessor here. No one's going to ask you. No one's going to prod you. No one's ever going to call you. We've only asked that you simply go to God on this. And then I would have you say this. I would pray that you would remember that we had a lot of fun doing it. That together we worked side by side. I remember I was 10 or 12 years old helping my Uncle Henry build a chicken coop. And I say it's a chicken coop. It's not that trashy looking chicken coop I have now that, that looks pretty pathetic it's, it was nice it was one third to half the size of this room pitched roof tin roof hewn cypress it was incredible and I remember 12 years old being on a ladder a yellow jacket is nailing me in the neck it's 98 degrees and my uncle is looking to make sure everything's level and I remember finally yelling over to my uncle 
after you know our, our our extravagant lunch of Vienna sausages, you know, and and we didn't believe in water breaks. I remember looking over and saying, Uncle Henry, it's a chicken coop. It doesn't matter if it's just going to be straightened. And my Uncle Henry, two posts away took out his Marlboro cigarette and took off his cowboy hat, which I knew was going to be the beginning of a great speech. (laughs) And he looked at me and said, Son, it's not just a chicken coop. It's something one day you'll remember that we did together. And at that age, I learned a great lesson. That even in the smallest of things, that someday and one day we'll remember we did this together. When I officiate this young man's funeral, I don't think if I would have seen him just before he passed, if I were to say, would you recite any sermon I ever preached? I don't think he'd remember one. I don't think he'd remember one program. But yet I have pictures that are full of his smiles and we have a heart full of memories based on one word that we shared. That was life. I don't know about you and me, but I'm over looking for monuments to change my life. It's the footsteps leading up to them that do it. It's the laughter in homes. It's coming together over meals. It's coming together to sacrifice once more to build a church. People say, don't get built anymore. A church built on the promise of God, the promise of community, and the promise of a family, a chosen family. And that's what we have ahead of us. And so my prayer, as all our prayers, is this. You would just simply ask God to allow you to be a part the way we all are. That's it. That's our building campaign in a nutshell. Next week we get down to the dirt with David and Bathsheba. We get back to doing what we do, which is preach the, the word of God verse by verse. And these meetings I hope you can make during this week. And a heartfelt thank you to every one of you. For all of this is being done because what God has done in your lives. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for...